Sup Freaks, it's your boy Marty here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. I sat down with Jeff Booth, entrepreneur, tech leader, and author of The Price of Tomorrow. Why deflation is key to an abundant future. Uh, Very fascinating conversation. We get into the deflationary forces that exist in our world today and have existed for some time. Uh, How the inflationary monetary uh, policies that exist throughout the central banking world sort of conflict directly with the deflationary pressures that we've experienced uh, in the economy and uh, the effects of AI on jobs in the future of humanity. Will we merge with machine and be basically are we just stepping stones for machines becoming the predominant uh, species on earth, uh, machines and, and software and artificial intelligence specifically. I'm not sure I'm hundred percent sold yet, uh, though Jeff does make some really good, uh, points in his book and in this episode. This one will definitely make you think about where we are. Like our, our people who myself included are a bit apprehensive to an AI led future. Are we, are we missing uh, the exponentiality of everything that's happened within our lifetimes, and are we going to be blindsided by this stuff? Jeff makes a compelling case that we just may be. Um, we talk about Bitcoin as well and how it is imperative uh, moving forward, especially in the face of all the deflationary pressures we're seeing in the tech sector and across industries uh, beyond tech. This episode of Tales from the Crypt is brought to you by our good freaks at the Cash App. You freaks may already know all about them. If you don't know all about them, let me tell you a little bit about them. Uh, Jack, CEO Square, company that owns Cash App, uh, he, he tweeted out earlier today that he's, he's maxing out his sat stacking on the Cash App. So if you freaks didn't know, uh, now you do. You can stack sats on the Cash App. You don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin. Just buy sats. Stack sats. And now they're making it easier to stack sats on a set cadence. If you want to buy daily, weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, you can now do that on the Cash App by setting up a DCA function. DCA, what's that? Dollar cost average. You learned a little bit if you didn't know that. On top of stacking sats, you can stack slivers of stonks. All right? Via Cash App Investing. If you want to stack stonks, I'm not saying you have to. If you want to, if there's a stonk out there that you're interested in and Cash App offers it and you want to buy it, you can stack a sliver of that stonk as little as $1. If it's too expensive, you can't afford the whole stonk, you can buy as little as $1. And because Cash App is directly connected to your bank account, or it may even be your bank account, because they're offering account numbers and routing numbers where you can just get your uh, your income directly deposited into the Cash App. There's no four to five day waiting periods because of this. You can start investing today. Cash App Investing is a member SIPC and a subsidiary of Square. Uh, as always, almost forgot the most important part. As always, use the code stacking sats. It's S T A C K I N G S A T S. When you download the app, if you have not downloaded it yet, you're going to get $10 and $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse in Chicago. That's Owls Lacrosse. They're doing incredible things. A charity very near and dear to our heart. Owls Lacrosse. <coughs> Enjoy this episode. Made me think a lot. Pick up the book, The Price of Tomorrow. It's a good one. Easy to read on Audible. Or you don't read it on Audible. You'll listen to it. <laughs> Enjoy. Ticky.
You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Probably should be. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Ben here on a Monday, Monday afternoon, getting started earlier this week. Very excited for this episode. Uh, very pressing topics considering what's going on in the global economy right now and around the world as chaos seems to be reigning supreme at the moment. I'd like to introduce you freaks to Jeff Booth, author of The Price of Tomorrow, Why Deflation is Key to an Abundant Future. Jeff, how are you? Great. Thanks for having me, Marty. Again, thanks for coming on. Um, I was telling you, I, I literally just finished the audible version of your book a couple minutes before we hopped on the Zoom call, and there's a—I mean, I want to dive into a lot. Uh, for any of you freaks who have not read the book yet, I highly recommend you go pick it up or listen to it on Audible. Uh, the topics covered are very, uh, very prescient, considering what's going on today. Uh, the, we talk a lot about inequality in the world and what drives that, and in this podcast and in the newsletter, I'm a big proponent of central bank. Easy monetary policy has has done a lot to exacerbate inequality in the world uh, over the last five decades, um, and it's sort of a, a weird thing to have happen at a period of time when you have massive uh, deflation uh, in the in the tech sector going on. So, I think we should start with what's been going on in the tech sector, how things, how prices have been coming down um, in that particular sector over the course of the last five decades and, and how you sort of played a role in that year, not only an author, but an entrepreneur who's uh, started and, and sold many tech companies. Yeah. So where would you like to start, Marty? So I th the devaluation of, of prices in the tech sector, what, what has been driving that? How, how cheap are things really today? Okay. Um, so, so I think let's first start with uh, deflation or inflation, right? Kind of what's valued on each of those. Uh, de deflation is when the value of your currency gets higher, is, is higher because goods and services are cheaper in relation to. Um, inflation is the opposite. Uh, we grew up in an inflationary monetary policy and we've grown up in, with inflation all our lives. So it's hard to see that uh, that those, what I just said bef uh, before are just facts, right? Not good, not bad. Uh, but we've grown grown up believing and taught that deflation is bad, and I would I would argue why are goods and services getting lower price bad if you have money, right? Different winners and losers, yes, but not bad or good. Uh, good. So we've also grown up with thoughts that if you have deflation, people will wait and they won't buy. So you create a deflationary spiral um, and, and 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 it gets worse and worse. And I would say that's just not true. Uh, if you look at when a new when a new iPhone comes out um, and there's a lineup around the block, you can see the evidence. And technology deflation is a good thing. Um, your 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 cell phone is only 13 years old. Um, the the first smartphone is only 13 years old. And look at what's look at your home screen, and think about all the things that you get for free, 
right? Every year it gets more powerful. There's more things. Today it's my camera, it's my like guitar tuner, it's my maps, it's my virtual assistant. All of this stuff is free. And there's another flaw in people and say, well, it's not free really because, because there's a whole bunch of advertising induced. And that's not true. To write code for my, say, my flashlight on my phone, there's one flashlight app that'll win. And to write that code, it costs nothing. Right? And pretty soon, AI is going to be writing the code. Um, and it, it digitally goes to everyone. So you could have a penny, a, a penny for every one of them and make a mint if you're the winner of that home screen. And again, so what that means is we're on a road and technology is taking prices down lower and lower and lower and lower and lower because of that. Um, and it's a good thing. And I'm sure nobody wants to give up their, their cell phone. But we still measure that technology thinking that it just is in your cell phone and we can have deflation there and abundance there. Well, in the broader economy, we have to rely on inflation. So if you looked at CPI and, and, and the things kind of that are deflationary in nature, things that are inflationary in nature, it's really just because of manipulation of currencies. So you have and an massive debt everything else chasing into asset prices. So if you look at housing, it's going up because you're manipulating currencies and against, but take that one leap forward, that same technology in your cell phone and more is moving across society in every single company. It is the backbone. It is the new super highway. And that logically means that shouldn't you have the same abundance and, and, and cost decreases in the wider society. The only reason you don't is because of monetary policy trying to drive an inflationary environment against that. So you have, you have two opposing forces, massive forces. Okay. On one side, you have technology deflation, wanting to make prices cheaper and more abundance to everybody. In that world, you wouldn't need to work as many hours. Um, you just ha have prices de uh, declining and you'd get more for less all the time against an inflationary monetary policy and central banks trying to stop that at all costs. So that's where we are in the world. Yeah, and it's really perplexed and it really drives home like what are these central banks doing? Uh, and that's what I really liked in your book too. You brought up the Nassim Taleb um, example of why we why we let forests burn every once in a while um, to <laughs> to help cleanse the system and particularly since two thousand eight like that we haven't been allowing the forest to burn our solution has just been to print more money and dump it into failing industries uh, that are that are driving up asset prices particularly in the stock market real estate and other high end. Uh, assets that most people don't have access to or, or don't have enough money saved up to to get access to. Um, and so that's what I've been saying on this podcast is, is, is really that people want to think uh, blue or red team, Republican, Democrat, and sort of solve the country's problems. You have politics, but I'm saying you're, you're just... You're just slashing at, at branches there when the root of the problem is, is the money. Um, and that's why I champion Bitcoin, because I believe that if we have a deflationary currency, a hard currency, a hard money, uh, it, it sort of pairs well with the deflationary, uh, the price deflation we've experienced in the tech sector particularly. Yeah. 
you just said uh, you just said something I think that is is really important. And if you've been saying this for some time, I think you're right. And actually, a lot of people in the Bitcoin community would agree with you. I agree with you. What's going to happen? I just uh, so, but you said something that's important on both sides of the aisle on the political rhetoric that you hear. They they're not dealing with first principles on both sides, and you're driving it further and further away from each other. And they're screaming at each other and driving their bases further and further away from each other when both sides can't see it's a sound money problem right so think about the this in what uh tie, tying this together if you bail out if you have negative interest rates number one and a ceo of a company um will a ceo of a company a, a big corporation save cash because what you're saying is don't do that right it's it, i'm going to punish you for saving cash so you're going to be you're going to you're not going to trade against your peers because i've created an artificial incentive for you, for cash to be worthless right so don't save cash that's a bad thing and then when you have a have an issue and so you have this economy primed for just perfection all the time and you're constantly lowering interest rates and you're constantly artificially and then there's a problem. Any event, pick a print, pin in the balloon. Now it's now it's unwinding. No wonder the CEOs then say, "Wait, I don't have any money. Bail me out." Now I now the government comes in and bails them out. And by let's just use an example in let's say um, commercial real estate. Zoom users, the one we're on right now, ten million users to three hundred million users uh, in uh, or participants on the call in 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 about a month and a half. That three hundred million isn't going back to ten million. If you carry that forward, that means commercial real estate prices have to fall a lot. If you carry that forward, that means the debt on the commercial real estate prices has to be wiped out, right? And that's why the government, the Fed says, okay, well, let's take these leveraged loans off your balance sheet and we'll put them on ours. And then prices don't fall. They're artificially high. And then the same government has to go in and reach into a whole bunch of people that, and then uh, prices of rents don't fall, right? Because of it. And then there's a whole bunch of people left out of that that they punished because, because they didn't allow capitalism to clear and work. And now you have to go in a whole bunch of social safety programs to be able to save the people that you killed in the first place by artificially propping up uh, prices. The insanity of the, this discussion—it's just—it's mind-boggling. But they can't. But 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 governments can't see it because they're trapped in a in a spiral, and it's always worked before. Yeah, and it's. Do you think it's really the governments can't see it or you think they they're just incentivized? I, I think I think they can't see it. I think there's a lot of people that would say it's the rich taking, right? And 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 the they I there's some in that class. Um but I think they can't see it. Right. I think everything that I argue in the book, by the way, is against my personal wealth. I'm one of the winners. I, I own technology companies. I'm boards of technology companies, I, I, um, I, I, and and I have tons of assets. And I could use this scheme and just drive tons of wealth. But if you actually play that forward, what that does to society, the bigger impact is what you're talking about to your, you, your listeners. The bigger impact is you, you you're driving society to break. 
right? And people people that can't pay their rent, pay their food, pay for their food and everything else because of artificially high prices that you created. And then jobs are leaving the system because of technology anyways. We'll listen to any rhetoric to say it's not your fault, it's their fault. And so if you drive hands in the, if you're driving uh, wealth into the hands of a very few people and most of the people don't have it, there's no way for society to function. Actually, there's no way for capitalism to function in that, uh, in that, uh, if you just play that path forward, it doesn't work. So yeah. they, have, they have nots come and take it back from the house. Okay, that's when the guillotines come out. And yeah, it. that is where pitchforks pitchforks come out. Revolutions, history is full of full, full of this. When uh, uh, when uh, when the revolutions start, and how do you create that? You create an internal enemy of your in your country first, and then you need a bigger external enemy. So if you think about the, what the politicians are doing right now, internal enemies are on both sides of the aisle. No matter what your political stripes are, <laughs> um, that's what's happening. And then it's not your fault, it's China's fault or Russia's fault or something else. And you see this happening. If you think it's happening in the US, what do you, what do you think it would look like in China? What do you think it would look like in something? It's happening everywhere. Yeah. I mean, we're at a truly chaotic time in human history. And, and it's especially chaotic because of the pace of change that's going on within the tech sector with technology. And so that's one of the things you dive into in the book is the emergence of AI and the inevitability of it replacing far more jobs than anybody can uh, fathom at the moment. And I was telling you this before we hit record. I've been an AI skeptic for, for quite some time, but your explanation of exponential functions and humans' pretty innate inability to uh, not understand exponential movements has me questioning whether or not I am missing this exponential move behind the scenes in the tech sector. It's not even behind the scenes. It's in my hand, the supercomputer, the Zoom talk right yeah. now. Um, like how fast is this is this change happening right now? Yeah, it's I'm at the front I'm at the front of this. I'm at the front of this in a whole bunch of different sectors and I can't keep up. I know some of the top AI researchers, the pace of change and and, and not just the AI researchers in deep learning. I know some of the top AI researchers and the next level of where AI is going. Um, one of those pieces, probabilistic programming that can do the same thing with less data. Um, and, and there's a whole bunch of this research that's moving forward as it's moving across industry. And it's, so it's moving at a, at a pace. One of the things I talk about in the book, and I've said on a, a number of podcasts, is exponential change fools us. Um, I've asked this question to tens of thousands of people all over the world and the following question, and no one gets the answer unless you've known the answer before. And that's if you fold a piece of paper on itself 50 times, how thick is the piece of paper? And you can only fold it seven times before you can't fold it anymore. But if you could continue folding, how thick is the paper on, on fold 50? And the, and the paper would reach to the sun. And it, and and I don't say that to to say I I know something you don't. I say that to to say we're all fooled by exponential patterns, right? All of us. Because if you didn't, uh, if if I asked that to ten thousand people and half of them got it, okay, then then no, we're okay. It's enough people get it. But everybody's fooled by it. Right? And so when you have technology moving exponentially, um, and 
we're likely to be fooled by that change. Um, and and some people would argue that okay, more Moore's law uh, is going to run out of steam, right? And they might be, and, and that's probably a fair bet. I talk about it in, in the book. But after that, whether it's quantum or something else, and move and on, on on it's going to feel exponential, the pace of technology change, for the foreseeable future. Um, and and when you fold a piece of paper, I'll just do it right now with you, because it's if you fold a piece of paper once, right? So I'll, I'll use this example on uh, on on say um, additive manufacturing. So when we think of 3D printers, I'm sure everybody on your podcast listening thinks of 3D printers of this, and it prints a trinket, right? Because 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 the same thing that drives this technology paradigm where it, it creates a crescendo, collapses, and then keeps going is the same thing we just talked about. The first fold of the paper, when everybody has this hype, or the second fold of this paper saying, wow, we're going to be able to print anything in our homes and everything else. And then it shows up and you can print some plastic toy. I mean, it takes a full day to do it. We, we all think, oh, what a joke, right? Um, and that's what, that's what happens. But then the folds keep happening. Right? And the folds keep happening, and the folds keep hap happening, and it and, and 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 it doubles, and it doubles again, and it doubles again. And so, if you carry those forward, um, where we were with technology last year, we're on fold thirty-three, right? And more as well. Fold thirty-four doubles everything in the last fifty years. If you carry that forward to three D printers or additive manufacturing, if you see what's happening with additive manufacturing today. There is no reason in that you could call it 10 years, five years, 20 years, but the pace of change, what is valuable in the things you buy, right? It's the information, right? That is die cut, put into a factory, produced at scale, shipping ch channels to get to you. And it's all the cost is in that, right? And a profit for the manufacturer and all the levels of distribution to get to the store to get to you. What happens when the value of that mic that you have is just information? It looks like a Google search, right? And you can, and that information can be printed anywhere. And 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 think about the benefit to society. Think about the, how much cost comes comes out and what you could have. you could have anything you wanted, really, right? And it, and cost keeps coming down on that, and it just looks like information. But think about the job destruction as well. So, so, so if there's going to be that job destruction, right, then, and it's going to happen anyways, then shouldn't you allow society to reduce prices so that you could actually, instead of driving health or wealth into the hands of a very few, allow the, uh, allow the benefit to, to reach most of society? That's, that's what I argue in the book. Yeah. These additive, so these additive technologies, like producing a mic. How 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 about the physical side of that? Like the raw materials need to go into that. How? Yeah, so 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 some of that, but the, but the same thing there. Uh, the same uh, same thing there. So it, so what did what did the original toner to to print stuff from your computer, right? 
what did that look like at first? First, you went to Staples or something like that, and they had these giant printers that you had to take a disc in to go to the store. And then the printers came at almost no cost to you, and they just get lower and lower and lower, and printing seems really easy at your home, right? Uh-huh. Same path in products. That's what it's going to look like at, uh, at some point. And, and you could argue that path is still 10 years out. But it doesn't matter, like in, in, in the macro trend, all of this stuff is deflationary. It's, at, it, it's adding more deflation. If you add on what you're talking about before, artificial intelligence, how fast that's moving, it's staggering, right? It's, sta- it's moving at a staggering rate. And it, makes all, it just reinforces all of these other industries and makes them happen faster. Well, that's what scared the crap out of me in your book is the uh, the realization that if AI is to be successful, it probably replaces humans as the smartest beings on this planet. That's a very uncomfortable thought. So, so the, that's that's the problem, and I agree with that. With it's, so people people won't want to listen to the physics or why why that's that's actually a probability or a high probability. I would say it will happen. So you can argue when because they're so scared of that outcome, right? But it doesn't change the outcome. And, and so, so people would just, oh, right, that can't happen because we're smarter, right? Why are you smarter? And you saw this in the book, right? Why are you smarter than the next person? Why are you more creative? A lot of it comes down to pattern recognition and you practicing something more than somebody else and seeing a pattern or a mental model somebody else hasn't had seen and a lot of that comes from what you read or what you've seen from somebody else so it's a collection of knowledge it's it's a collection of information that has been error corrected right what you're doing right now to a lot of your audience is hopefully correcting some of their errors right And, and, and think and and or maybe we're making an error Right? and it'll be corrected. <laughs> um, but, but as you aggregate information up and you're correcting those errors, right, with, with us, you're able to see patterns that other people can't see. So if you just take that down to the base level and you say, what is information doing? And as you digitize that information, that's what, that's what deep learning algorithms, that's what AI is doing. They're being able to, it's able to see patterns that we can't see. In all sorts of different and uh, all sorts of different disciplines. Yeah, so that's what you described in the book. Is right now AI is sort of like a narrow understanding and narrow disciplines like in Go, uh, the Watson yeah. on Jeopardy, uh, and, and other and self-driving cars were, were the examples you honed in on. And so, how close are we to to them being multidisciplinary? Or, so it's cross discipline. Okay, I'm going to take you to a place that this uh, the first time I've said I've talked about this. But if you just think about it, so, what makes you really good at anything you do, right? Ten thousand hours, tons of practice, right? Then the more practice you uh, uh, you are anything, the better you are at it. Practice makes perfect. So that's an elite athlete. That's a, that's a banker. That's any practice, practice, practice. And as you do that, um, you narrow essentially the neurons firing, and you're able to do things at ease that that other people can't do at ease because you've had all all, all this practice. It's just your brain's rewiring itself um, to be able to do things better, and which frees up more energy or time to be able to see a bigger path, path and make 
creativity off of that. That's how, but even narrow AI applied to an industry today has profound implications on jobs, right? Because even in any one of those things, it becomes better than you in, a, in an industry. And a lot of our, um, and a lot of what we make our most money at is become, becoming the best at something in a narrow industry. That's why we go to school. That's why we do practice, practice, practice and everything else because I want to be the top. So if you if you extrapolate what happened with Go, right, where 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 AI kills everybody and go like, does anybody actually now, and, and people used to make a lot of money from Go, like stars and everything else and maybe not in North America, but in Asia, it's a big deal, right? Um, kids, let's do this like chess before and everything else because because you'll go in the circuit um who's teaching our kids to do that now right and yeah. and and so if you if you play that forward in every industry it's going to look like the same thing in every 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 industry your general artificial intelligence where it moves from within industry outside of industry and kind of can see multiple things across industry that's still a ways off but when i say a ways some of the top researchers talk about it being five years off some some say 15 years off but in any some say 30 years off but here's here's a hypothesis for me right i think it's actually and and i might be wrong here um, but I think it's about our ability, it's energy, right? And our ability to, be, our brains, to be able to hold enough thought on, on something. You have to practice, 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 practice. But that means not seeing other things, right? And forgetting things, right? To hold on to something else. You don't remember information exactly. You don't remember all of the things I'm saying right now with perfect clarity. You remember the things through your own filter bubble, <laughs> And the fan going in the background, you're not even hearing that right now. <laughs> and for, uh, for you, there's a whole bunch of information that your brain can't store, right? So at some sort of path on computers, you could get to massive storage ability, right? And do it through kind of superpower of computers, energy and computers and the hard way that would be deep learning algorithms currently the way that they're working. And, and if, if, if this, if this rate of change in computers and power of computers and storage keeps going as, then you could do a kind of brute force method. But we're pretty efficient users of energy, right? So what we can do as humans is crazy. We can generalize and everything else, forget that and do something else. That's where some of the new algorithms are coming in AI, right? Can you do some of the things we do? And maybe can a computer forget this to be able to do and take a pattern into some, something else? That's where that's where that's going. I I can't say with certainty what date what date that happens, but uh, but uh, but it's coming. Are we creating Skynet? Is this uh, is this something we should be doing? I mean, you, you, it's inevitable. It seems like people are going to do it no matter what. I don't I'm think it think. looks. I, I don't think it looks like that. I I, I don't think uh, and and. And I, and I hope AI at that level isn't owned by a corporation, right? The, uh, but I hope it you have broader, uh, uh, broader societal gains. Um, but, uh, 
So I don't I don't think it looks dis, as dystopian as that. And if you take another trend that's happening, right, with uh, 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 brain interfaces, right, what uh, Neuralace with Elon Musk is doing, I know the person who's running that. Uh, the, uh, the, I think it's highly likely that that we augment ourselves and tie into that superpower kind of as it's happening instead of it being binary it's the ai against us right i don't think i don't think i don't think it looks like that what does a human look like after that though after that that link has been made well are we even human anymore I, I, and and i think i i think we're changing i think that is like i think uh, and some people fight that change these are hard hard like when 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 people hear this you're going to get some of your audience that's going to react super negative and go because of fear right and uh and um and if it's happening anyways what does it look like and i don't know the event like these are uh, we're entering in a time that uh that would ch- change is inevitable right um and you can run from it and say i won't change Right. Or you can be and there's going to be some people, there's going to be early adopters of, say, uh, brain interfaces and it won't, won't work well. And there's going to be some uh, uh, and then it'll work. But if you say the interface today, it, does anybody even leave without their smartphone? Right. The only difference is it's connected to your hand all the time <laughs> instead of connected to. And so if you had that, if you had that power at will and you didn't know it was really that power well you don't have to hold it in your hand you might you might take it yeah i'm just saying as somebody i mean that's what you said early on in your book you wrote the book and you want to get these ideas out there because they're thinking about the future for your children and if somebody who's got a two-month-old baby right now just trying to think of what his future is going to be like like so that's the that is the crazy thing and i would say from a from what i what i try to i, I try to talk to my kids i try to debate I try to debate things at a first principle level, right? So what could happen? Not not get emotional on the things. I, I might not want that to happen, but if it, but but if that's the path of technology and everything else, at least I want to know that it, it, that it is the path of technology, and then make my my own choices. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. It is scary. I'm one of those humans is like, oh, I don't want that. I'd rather go live on a farm. Like what, if, what about the people who just want to live on a farm? And- yeah, I know. And that, and, the, and, the, and that might happen. And actually probably I would say a lot of that does happen, right? A lot of that will happen. It's happened in previous revolutions or pre- previous technology that people have said the Luddites, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not going to be in part, part of this, right? Part of that is inevitable. So uh, part of that uh, will happen. Yeah. Do we go out to space after this, in your opinion, or do we just perfect everything here and make our immediate well, life? I think I, I think space is inevitable too. It, it, I, I think some of these things are, for me, I'm not going to be the first one on Mars, right? The, the uh, uh, why would I leave this to go there, right? Uh, with 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 what that that would uh, look like, but I think space is inevitable at some point too. Yeah. Uh, there's a uh, James O'Byrne is a Bitcoin developer has this uh, theory or not theory it's like a principle Fermi's principle maybe where we where we sort of create 
the systems that destroy us. And he's been talking about coronavirus being one of them. If it does turn out to be something that was engineered, like our, are we experiencing like the height of hubris of man or is this just a natural progression of what's going on? I think it's a natural progression. Tools are going to get, uh, so, so most of these things, technology isn't good or bad. It's, it's us that warps these things, right? Um, the, even if, uh, so, so CRISPR, which can change, right? Uh, your DNA and give it, not good or bad, but it gives us more power to influence. And some of the people are going to take these technologies and create more pain, right? And 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 I generally think, uh, and this is a general rule that uh, you see it in the book too. Um, even game theory, human it, humans have an evolution evolutionary bias for cooperation, right? and if we didn't. Um, we wouldn't have survived, right? So it's an evolutionary bias. The problem is when everybody's cooperating, it creates an incentive for somebody to cheat, right? And and so in the short term, you can have cheaters prosper. And it's uh, and so you see humanity go through these waves, right, uh, of cooperation. Now you could say Bretton Woods and they're going to gold standard and all the wealth generated from all the countries and everything else after World War II was a world of cooperation, largely of cooperation. And going off that and everything else and what's happening today is the opposite, right? Because, because, because if you cheat against that system, you win for a short time, right? And so now we're moving into a non-cooperative environment. And I, my hope is a whole bunch of really great people come together and force the other way because actually the incentives accrue when everybody's not cooperating the incentives incentives accrue to cooperate again and so the the new so i tend to look at this as you could look at it as yin and yang you could look at it as karma you could look at it as um but great leaders who unite are more powerful long term than ones that divide right but short term ones that divide win because the uh, so so uh, if you if you put those things together and what this looks like and in fact in a lot of the different Bitcoin podcasts that I've been doing I've said, said that 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 because uh, some of the Bitcoin it was fringe and everything else and it was started out of two thousand eight what are we doing here right <laughs> and 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 it creates such a religion around it and I think it's still right. But a lot of the people in the community go and bash other people, right? And 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 it would be better if they didn't. If they, it would be better if they talk, if it, because people don't want to listen to somebody that's yelling at them, right? <laughs> and it would be better to unite. I agree there. Um, I think there be a lot more civility in some parts of the Bitcoin. I mean, it's just most Bitcoiners you meet in person are very civil. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. Like, there's a, like, some fantastic people in this community. Yeah, and that I mean, and that's the beauty of Bitcoin. Like you're saying, like uh, incentivizing cooperation. I think the network design does that beautifully between the full nodes, the miners, the people transacting. They're just literally incentivized to uh, work number one in their their own self interest, and that also just happens to be the self interest of the network overall. Uh, because cooperating makes it more distributed, more decentralized, and therefore stronger at the end of the day. Yeah. 
and and but but let's use uh, as gold like uh, is it against gold and i i agree with it so when i would say gold has a market cap of something like eight trillion dollars bitcoin 150 billion 160 billion um today i the reason why gold has that market cap is is it used to be tied to money it's no longer tied to money right but all of the people in gold probably think the same as bitcoin they want something that's that's that can't arbitrarily be changed in in, uh, in rules. So those communities seem to. So, do I like the bet on Bitcoin as a new future reserve currency? Love it, um, because it's it works on a network effect. All of the things you're talking about, it it makes tons of sense, and that means that the the market cap of Bitcoin should go go higher, and then the market cap of gold should come lower if it's not going to be the future of money. That's what I believe. I might be wrong, um, but uh, that's what I believe. But I do, when I look at both sides of the community on both sides of the community, they both believe and fundamentally that currency that currencies are unstable right now because of government easing. So, so talking like that unites more than divides. No, I agree. I had uh, Roy Sabag on, who is the founder of Gold Money uh, last month and so we can't agree. We all want sound money. I can, and I get, I get shit from the Bitcoiners that are that are hardcore about this that we shouldn't be butting up with gold bugs, um, because they'll sort of just try to drift on our coattails. Because Bitcoin is act, has, actually has a better chance of being successful, which I agree. A gold, a gold standard will never come back. It's too centralized and volts controlled by central authorities and uh, transacting in gold, using it as a bearer asset when you compare it to bitcoin is just uh, uh abysmally uh, less uh, of a good experience it's it's a, it's a terrible experience when you compare sending a bitcoin transaction at a coffee shop uh, to trying to shave down some gold uh shavings to pay for a coffee um I, but i think like you're mentioning here the ideology behind why we each want one or the other is because we want sound money and sound money as we're getting to in this podcast is it's going to make the world a much better place, especially in a high uh, price deflation era in the tech sector. Right. And remember, it's not just the tech sector. It's all sectors. The tech sector, if tech, so, so you used to be able to, when in, in, if you needed um, a government needed to stabilize uh, things and get people back working, they used to put infrastructure projects, Right. Essentially, build a wider road so people could travel faster to their to their office, and you get not just the initial job benefit, you get a longer term job, uh, GDP boost because of the dis, uh, the the time travel less less means more efficiency. Right. So so it used to be one of those things that would provide not just jobs in the short term but GDP gain in the long term because of pr- productivity gains. The new superhighways are all digital. And just look at what we're using right now on the phone. We wouldn't are on, on Zoom. We wouldn't have met. Um, we, I didn't need to drive to you. I didn't need to take a plane to you to do this this job. It's all around us, right? And and the cost. How many extra jobs? There's some. Uh, Eric, who runs Zoom, is a friend of mine, the CEO. Uh, uh, the um, how many extra jobs versus jobs that they took, right? <laughs> are it's it's across borders. There's no extra tech. Uh, that 
it's this those are all of those areas are the superhighways of our future but does does this not create a scenario in which people like so all the all these jobs get taken but you don't see uh, people realizing that that's happening and then getting creative and innovating somewhere else creating more jobs like after the luddites okay. came after the factories so i, I and I, I love that you asked that uh because because i think that's okay i have a hypothesis and and backed with a whole bunch of data you read some in, in the book why that is very unlikely right are there new industries created a hundred percent yes some that we can't see today virtual reality there's going to be some the, the the how much opportunity there is in some of these technology companies to consolidate information and in industries that haven't been consolidated yet like healthcare and everything else um and having ai run that so it has way better outcomes staggering my apple watch uh has more information than my doctor knows more about me than my doctor. Um, so as this ha starts to happen, it's going to uh, accelerate and create a whole bunch of new industries. But the net sum of jobs in the new industries, I don't think have a chance of, ta uh, of replacing the jobs that, uh, that were, are destroyed. I might be wrong. Right? Maybe I can't see all of these new industries that are, that are coming, and I might, might be wrong. But if you play some of the themes we're talking about, if if you just said AI in the future is going to be more intelligent than us, as you argue the point is at some point, but on the way there, it's not like a light switch. It's stealing jobs all the way. <laughs> and then one day, right? So, so, and if it's stealing jobs, that's deflationary in nature, right? And it's get it's doing more for less. And it's, it's creating code, it's doing all of these things, and it's doing more for less. And then one day it's even smarter than all of us. If every single job is a function of our intelligence, right, then, which it's pretty easy to see, it's a function of our intelligence and creativity and everything else, and AI becomes more intelligent or more creative and everything else, then it's hard to see these massive new industries that are going to be created um, on that path, maybe, but uh, yeah. but if you if you drive policy, if you drive policy response, and you so if you make an argument for you know, I'm going to inflate my currency away, and drive on the hope of that, I think it's just an insane. It's insane. Yeah, no, I mean, it. I mean, and I guess we can transition to like. So if we do transition to a more sound currency and this is the one thing I, the one big question i have you you're advocating for ubi as all these jobs go away how do you how do you institute that so and, i don't know if i was advocating for ubi um no so i i, I was I, I was saying what would it look like if you allowed prices to my, my central premise is this um that technology creates uh that automation right drives so much abundance and abundance drives prices down and if abundance keeps driving prices down um then a lot of things become free or almost free that's the central premise right and then if you tie that to, and you can see this economics is about scarcity not value so if you have things driving the free everywhere um it's hard to price those things 
they become cheaper and cheaper and that's deflationary and that's not such a bad thing if you don't not pretending to stop it by living in an inflationary world because the air you breathe is free right um and nobody can charge it for you for it unless you want to go unless you want to go diving underwater they can charge it for you because it's scarce there right so so if you have a tech if you have technologies a whole bunch of them that are driving that product those productivity gains to society and as a result driving more abundance and and you stop that force right then you're going to make it less abundant you're going to artificially price it and you're going to drive wealth into the hands of, of some at the expense of others it's not going to be broadly distributed to society so so i would I, my argument is broadly distributed to society stop manipulating currencies and let it and let let because they're not going to be able to stop it anyways central government no matter what they're not going to be so and and if they try you're going to have this massive inflation as currencies collapse right and then it's going to go back but that trend no matter what you are not going to be able to stop the deflationary trend if you try you you divide society so bad but before we get there we go through a bunch of world wars right to uh, uh to, so so let it happen and then on the transition the transition is the hardest thing because if you let it happen at the rate it wants to happen right now because we've kicked the can down the road so bad debt has to uh, and and prices go down debt in real terms can't be paid back and we already and because we've manipulated prices so long we've created so much debt in the world that's a big problem right so there um so what's happening is governments are trying to outrun the debt problem by printing more debt or by creating more debt right and and incentivizing debt and spending just try to outrun and inflate inflate away because if you let deflation happen the debt gets uh, uh, higher higher cost in real terms you can't pay it back that transition is going to be hard and it's going to be really hard for central banks to understand because it's it's a, this is a structural change that they haven't seen none of their economic models could see what we're about to see right they're looking backwards in history on a different time frames yeah the models the models the models they uh that's why so i actually worked at a fund as an analyst managed futures fund specifically and we had to uh, just as a product of that job, I had to follow Fed tea leaves, central bank tea leaves from around the world. And that's what really made me realize that they were way outside their depth is the models that they would use to, to project forward and the, the data that would come in the future uh, that would be nowhere close to those models. Somebody came to me that worked at the, in, in with those models as well. You're saying the same thing, but somebody came to me out of one of my podcasts and and he said he said i worked there and he and he said when you see what's happening it's nothing short of criminal he said it, it, it's a um the it it, it it's it, it's nothing short of criminal no and so it's more of a political will to let this happen than not um it's either that or you're forced by the point at which you can't outprint the the debt um, so you're so so the central governments central banks right now are taking all the liabilities off of the private sector 
right? And there, you don't have capitalism anymore. You don't have any price clearing mechanism. You have misallocation of pricing everywhere. And interest rates are about to go negative. And they're going to go very negative. And what does that do to pricing and, and risk? And, and, and there is no free market, right? So it's so distorted. How does an entrepreneur decide to go and build a business in, a, in something that's that distorted? You're actually, you're making it worse. Yeah. And it's, so do you think it just collapses one day because of confidence? Like, is there, is there a number or is it a confidence game? So, so the, the debt in the world, so 185 trillion of, uh, of new debt creation in the last 20 years to stop what, we're t- what we've been talking about. Right. And every year it's more to try to, to get 2% inflation rate, right? Every year it's logically more, but that makes sense because, because to stop the, the exponential deflationary force of technology, you have to exponentially increase monetary easing to stay even, right? So, so everybody is looking, and this is one of the things in, in projections that make a lot of people, um, they're looking for that, that date, right? That time, that time. We're so p- far past that time, right? There, it's, and, and, and so, that would, so the 250 trillion against an 80 trillion world economy was looking backwards. What do you think debt is now if you, if you are, are about to be, if you try to stop what's happening with COVID and the economy um, this, this year globally, right? Does that number, probably not double, but does that number um, way bigger? 100 trillion, maybe more, right? To so stop, stop, stop what's happening and the economy is smaller. But yeah. everything I just said is a fact and that fact it, does, it doesn't count the unfunded liabilities and pensions and everything else and they um, globally it doesn't count all the black pools of money in China that are pretending to be paid back that it doesn't count those things it's just what's known it's way worse than that <laughs> so so th- so when you ask when you ask a question when does it break and you say it's already should have broken a long time ago, because this can't be paid back. There's no way none, any of this is going to be paid back. It turned. It's just a Ponzi scheme. Right? So, so, so when does when does this last person hit, hit the uh, hit the bottom of the pyramid and decide to start running for the exits? That's that's what's happening right now. And and some of these things can go on for way longer than you think they can go on. Um, but at some point, people realize. By the way, the debt itself is a massive drag on future growth, and it's actually disinflationary in itself, because assuming you have to increase taxes to pay the debt, you have to slow demand in the future. You're just pulling forward demand. So, so yeah, we're so far past that point uh, that it's, it's ridiculous. But can the governments all over the world paper over our current problem and, and pretend again? Maybe. I don't know. But if, don't know. If, if they can, they won't be able to next time. And, and, and all, the, all they'll be successful in is dividing society because by doing so, you, you enrich a whole bunch of people with assets and stocks and everything else, and you impoverish others. You pick the pocket of, this, you pick the pocket of societies and you transfer that wealth to, to, to others. And so, so that becomes a real problem. That becomes, yeah. that becomes what breaks things. Yeah. No, and I, I mean, I think that's become a glaringly obvious to people, especially those who are being forced to 
stay home and not work and they're living paycheck to paycheck and they've got that $1,200 stimulus check that here's the, is not going to hold them over. I don't think it is glaringly obvious. What we're talking about right now, it's not glaringly obvious. What you said, what politicians do is what is the short term is. And so you can do this. You can do this and, and pump this up and then pretend that you're saving somebody else by giving them a tiny smidgen so they can pay for their officially and they believe that you did the right thing. I don't think it's glaringly obvious at, at all. Yeah. I, think, I, I don't think, and, and and this is, we are not biased to do to do the long term best interests, right? We're uh, what what's what's right now? What's immediate? Politicians are elected for four years, right? What can I do right now? Um, it, it, in the face of that, Trump's tax cuts, which makes the uh, which makes the deficit that much bigger, and before this, actually boosts the economy. And everybody thinks he's a hero because he spent tomorrow's dollars today to artificially boost the uh, the economy and you have labor and then you have unemployment going down those jobs aren't great jobs right they're they're um but you have unemployment going down which uh, which drives the base and says wow this guy knows what he's doing but it's all artificial right and at some point that uh, that bus loose everywhere and that's what's happening yeah, yeah. The signs I've seen are when Neil Kashkari went on 60 Minutes and said, oh, we can print print unlimited cash. And then people started questioning, like, why do we pay taxes if you can just yeah. print cash? Yeah, if you, uh, can, if you can print if you can print any, anything, then, then instead of giving me what, $1,200, give me uh, 10000 Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like how many, how many of those stimulus checks do people get where they're like, how is this, how is this working? Yeah. And, uh, it's fascinating. I mean, this is why I feel so compelled to educate people about Bitcoin. I hope that Bitcoin, as a uh, alternative to that central banking system, this distributed monetary system that cannot be corrupted in the way that the central banks of today are, sort of provides a safety net. Hopefully, we're doing a good enough job to build out the protocol so that people can adopt it at a at a sufficient pace but I, I do like to envision uh bitcoin as as a sort of fallback option and and uh a, a point of optimism in this current chaotic world yeah so so it is for the people who hold it and i think you're going to see massive acceleration of gains there uh, so uh, that i all agree with but it, um, i'm going to say something potentially controversial to some of the bitcoin community um I suspect it's needed. I suspect it's where it's going, and I have, and, and I absolutely hold it in my portfolio. And I tell all my friends, make sure you own this. I hope it's not needed, um, because because if it's needed, it means the existing system collapsed so hard. And if you have only a, a certain number of people, if the on ramp comes too fast, and you only have a certain amount of people that have wealth in Bitcoin, and everybody else is is on the street. Think about what that looks like. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's dark for everybody. And when we shouldn't be wanting that outcome, right? We should be, we should be wanting an outcome where, where central banks and and governments get a little get around and say, this is insane. Let's build a let's build build a transition to Bitcoin or something like that, and and it can be a new reserve currency. That's what we should want. No, I agree. I agree. And I, I said this. Somebody asked me last week on 
Twitter when I was saying hyperinflation is possible in the future, and that's what most people think Bitcoiners want that, but no, you don't want that. It'd be chaos in the street, and like, like you're getting to it. You're like, if this happens in that fashion, like, do we do we just shoot ourselves in the foot as a society, as what humanity? We, what we do, what we do, the unintended consequences. And a lot of people can see one one order of magnitude. They don't see the order of magnitude. They're kind of the, on the, all the unintended, second order, third order, fourth order effects. They're just looking at the next step. And so, so really great investors, really great entrepreneurs, really great are doing, okay, if this happens, then this, then this, the, and they're building mental models on all this. And then what if this happens, it looks the opposite. And they're asking all the next steps from first, from first principles. I think that's critical right now. Um, and it's, it's critical in your investment philosophy too, right? So from, from an investment philosophy, um, if, if governments get away with this again, and cash becomes worthless, then you need to store that value somewhere else, but like Bitcoin, like assets, like everything else today, bonds, if you bonds, if you know, interest rates are going to go down, then bonds are a good bet. Longer term, it just inverted it just the right. So if you're in there too long, and it goes the other way, you're wiped to zero. Right. And so, so some of these things, uh, it's really important to ask if this happens, then what what are the implications of that happening everywhere else? Yeah. So somebody who has thought through this pretty thoroughly, it seems, if you were given a magic wand and you were able to dictate some of the transition needed to to uh, sustain uh, cooperation and civility in the world, what, what would you mandate? Um I'm fortunate to be in a position now that I'm starting to get into some of those conversations. The House of Commons in Canada had me in on Friday to to talk about uh, policy and recommendations, and at least that a government is actually having these conversations. That it invited me into the Finance Committee. Um, that, uh, that that those conversations are starting to. It's not just in Canada. I'm starting to get pulled into a whole bunch of these internationally. Um, then then potentially you could build the on-road uh, uh, on to something that is more sound money um, and, and, and transition the negative societal uh, costs uh, through time to be able to, to, to get there. Um, and, and what would that look like? It's hard to say exactly what that, uh, that looks like, uh, but, but um, I suspect that some central bank at some point or or a collection of them will peg to Bitcoin, right? Um, maybe before they do that, they'll start buying in the background. But uh, um, and but I, but but this because this whole thing is global in nature, um, it's uh, it needs to be handled globally in nature. Yeah, do you think we could cooperate as a globe? At the scale, so, you, you say in the book you need a common a common goal, a common mission, like the yeah. the moon race. Yeah, uh, can we create that with a money race? So that's that's another theme I've been harping on too. Bitcoiners like to simplify simplify things in the in the reproducible memes, very memorable memorable means. And I've been saying something: fix the money, fix the world. It's that simple. That's to me. that's what happens. That, that's exactly what happens. People don't realize 
how much of their life is in chasing around on this and storing about and on a on a system that's broken. They have no idea that that they're caught up in this spinning, right? I I need to and my my family has uh, two jobs, working as many hours as I can, so I can pay so I can save up enough of a deposit so I can buy a house that's being artificially stimulated and everything else. And most of my time. My most valuable thing is not my money. My most valuable thing is my time is going in to drive this cycle in perpetuity, right? <laughs> and people don't even know it. They don't, they're just so, so, but I need more than the next, I need to be able to feed my family. And it just, it, in perpetuity, it, go, uh, it, it goes on. If you actually valued your time, most of and and you could see, wait, if we built this a different way, I would get all of the benefit with way less time. And my time would go into other stuff. But it's hard to see that. It's hard to see that when you're trapped into when, when you're trapped in a system, you you just fix, fix the system, fix the world, you're exactly right. Um, you have more time to go into, into pursuits that are more valuable. No, I agree. And actually, Another Bitcoiner, Masir Mamadov, shut up Masir, he actually just wrote a book, This Book Will Save You Time, and it explains Bitcoin and sound money and, and how time is your most valuable asset and you're, you're giving it away for a currency, a monetary system that inflates away the value of that time. Right. This money is supposed to store your work exerted over time and it's just debasing that time spent. Right. Um, so another book, you got to read two books, freaks. Uh, after this podcast, <laughs> um, Jeff has been a fascinating conversation. Really, thank you for all the work you're doing. I mean, and that's the thing we have to leverage these technologies and specifically the communication technologies that exist today to, to try to educate our fellow man about this because this is the biggest problem in the world. Uh, fixing doing, this, keep doing this, do this. Have your have your audience do that, like. It, um, take this forward, right? They just the more people that are talking about this in a constructive, positive way, and and building. If people can't see an on ramp to kind of a brighter future, they'll stay in the past, right? And so if you can you can you can tie these things together and ask why is it bad if you worked less and got the same amount as today, right? <laughs> if you why is that a bad thing? If you if people can actually see see that. And, uh, and started to see, then the technology gains would, uh, it, 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 then if the population understands that in general, or more people understand that in general, it's, it'll happen. It's more likely that we'll have a soft landing or a transition that's, that's amenable. I agree. No, no, there's too much pessimism in the world right now. It's, 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 I mean, especially with this lockdown going on, it's like hard yeah. uh, for a lot of people to remain optimistic and, maybe that's what we need to do is create this, this, um, this sort of moon race for the future. We need to fix the money and then we'll fix the world. Like let's race to do that. And, and all the other, get are, yeah, all the other problems end up being actually a symptom of this problem. Yes. Um, <sighs> all right, let's keep fighting the good fight. Where can we find out more <laughs> about what we're, what you're doing? How can we help you? Um, where can we find the book? Comment on the book. Again, I told you before this started, I don't need to sell a book. That's the last thing I need. 
is to sell books from this. The, the most, the biggest thing is I think about my kids. I think about society in the future. And this is the most important conversation we can have. So if you can carry the forward the conversation, if any of your audience wants to carry it forward, please do. Uh, my, my Twitter is at Jeff Booth. Um, my uh, website, it's just a placeholder website. Some of the different companies I'm involved with is jeffreybooth.com. But, uh, and the book is The Price of Tomorrow, Why Deflation is Key to an Abundant Future. Yeah, and the book is on Audible. That's how I consumed it. And if you put it on one and a half speed, you can actually blow through it. Five and a half hours. It seems daunting at first, but you can you can up the uh, the pace, which I'm sure you guys are doing for this podcast right now. Um, again, thank you, Jeff. It's been a fascinating conversation. I think it's really important work what you're doing, and and thank you for somebody who doesn't need to has had much success in life and is is could rest on his laurels to get out there and 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 try to champion uh, a good message for for the rest of humanity is 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 extremely laudable. Thanks. Thanks very much. All right, that's all we got this week, freaks. Peace and love. Take care.